pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us out this evening here in Loma Linda, and I thank you for Advent Hope and for each person here. And I pray that you would bless this message tonight and bless our time together this weekend. And thank you that we have the opportunity to study your word. So bless us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the title for this evening's message is When Protestant America Speaks as a Dragon. Now, if you kind of get where that's coming from, you'll understand that we're going to be spending some time in Revelation 13 this evening. Now, that may seem to some as a basic chapter, but one of the reasons why I'm revisiting this chapter in my own study is because a lot of people are talking about Revelation 13, and I believe it's important for us to see from the Bible what Revelation 13 is teaching. Let the Bible interpret itself, um, and so we want to be clear about how we interpret it. Now, here's a couple of introductory thoughts about Revelation 13. Revelation 13 somehow is probably the best-known chapter in the book of Revelation among Seventh-day Adventists. That's not necessarily a good thing. I'm not saying it's bad to know it. You want to know it as well as you can. But here's my point. Revelation 13 has the two beasts, the beast that comes up from the sea and the beast that comes up from the earth. And going back to the Protestant reformers, including Martin Luther, you can identify this power as the Antichrist power. Now, Martin Luther especially saw that from the book of Daniel. But then as Seventh-day Adventists, we come along and identify this as the Antichrist power. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 13, and you could say chapter 17, is the revelation of Antichrist because it's showing the deception at the end of time. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, we tend to like to focus on the deception and the bad players and the great controversy, and we often don't focus as much about how Christ reveals himself through the book of Revelation. And so I mention that because I realize we are going to do a study on Revelation 13, and I don't actually give a lot of presentations on Revelation 13. So this is kind of a fresh thing that I've been doing in the last couple of months at some churches and just finding that this is a need, that even though Adventists historically claim to understand Revelation 13, sometimes we don't understand it perhaps as well as we think. I was talking to a colleague today um, here at Loma Linda who knows some people who question the entire interpretation. So it, it's good to go back and look at this. But what I want to do before we get into Revelation 13 and to look at the Antichrist power, and then to look at the second beast, which speaks as a dragon. And just so you know where we're going, what we're going to focus in on specifically is looking at the Bible and what it means when a beast speaks as a dragon. That's what we're going to look at specifically. That's where we're headed. So when you leave the presentation this evening, and I realize this isn't a class you're going to be graded on, my hope is, is that you'll be able to show from the Bible what it means to speak as a dragon. That's what we're going to get to. But before we get there, I am going to give you a bit of a big picture overview to help you understand why Revelation 13 is so important. Because what sometimes happens, and I've dealt with this recently with people that are coming into the faith is all they know about Adventists is like you have some weird conspiracy idea about a Sunday law and you don't like this power and this, that, and the other. And you haven't even taught them 
the big picture of Revelation. So we're going to look at that real quick, and then we'll get into Revelation 13. So Revelation 13, again, is the revelation of Antichrist, but Christ reveals himself many times through the book of Revelation before you get to chapter 13. So let's look at that. How does Christ reveal himself through the book of Revelation? Well, if you look at the book of Revelation, you can really divide it into two halves where Revelation 12 is the fulcrum point describing the great controversy. But in the first 11 chapters, you have the first half of the book. And in the first half of the book, you have seven churches, seven seals, and seven trumpets. And what happens in the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets is that Christ reveals himself. So, for example, he is the son of man to the seven churches and the lamb who had been slain in the seals. And he is represented as the high priest as an intercessor at the beginning of the seven trumpets. And so you see the plan of salvation through all of that, where he's the son of man in the midst of the candlesticks, seeking to save those who are lost, because he's the lamb who was slain that can bring salvation. And he's our high priest, who's our intercessor, whoever lives to make intercession for us. So we see that in the churches, seals, and trumpets. But then you see that all of those titles, as Christ reveals himself, has behind it a purpose for how he will work with his people. And those illustrations of who Christ is describes his work in the holy place, but then he moves into the most holy place. So in the churches, he moves into the most holy place, and he's the son of man, but then he becomes the faithful and true witness, giving a testimony in court to his judgment hour people of who they really are. And then in the the seals, he is described as the first begotten of the dead because when he finishes his work in the most holy place after the seals are finished, the dead will be raised. The dead in Christ will be raised in the first resurrection. And then in the trumpets, he is described as the prince of the kings of the earth because when the work of the trumpets finishes, he comes back as king of kings and lord of lords. But what is he doing in the most holy place? Well, he's working to produce a people. Because in the seven churches, you come to the Laodicean church, and Christ is seeking to save as many as he can in the churches. He's in the midst of the churches. And you come to the Laodicean church, and the church is so bad that it makes Christ want to vomit. And he says, you think you're good, but you're actually rich, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And so he says, let me come in. And just looking at the big picture, this is what happens. You're like, wow, the last day church looks terrible. But Christ says, let me come in. And if you let me come in, you will overcome as I overcame. So the question is, what happens to God's last day church? Then you come to the seals. And this is, again, from the most holy place. Christ stands at the door knocking in the most holy place. You come to the seals, and you find that from God's last day church... The 144,000 are sealed. So somehow this church that made Christ want to throw up, Christ finds a people, the 144,000, that he seals. And then you come to the trumpets. And in the trumpets, in the seventh trumpet, we see that the purpose is for the mystery of God to be finished. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When that work is finished then the trumpets will finish. And so here's what we see then, just looking at a big picture. What's this all about? Well, here's what it's all about. That's the first half of the book of Revelation. Sometimes your, your eyes might glaze over like, oh man, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, and I don't know what this is talking about. Here's the big picture of what it's talking about. Christ is working to develop a people, especially when he moves into the most holy place where he says, let me come in. You haven't let me come in. When we let him come in, he then can seal us because the mystery of God will be finished, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Christ then has produced a revelation of himself. That's in the first half of the book. And that's what Christ is announcing that he's going to do. He says, this is what I'm going to do before I come back. From the most holy place, I will have a people that are like me in character through my power and grace alone that are a revelation to the world of what I can do when they let me come in. 
And so this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that then culminates in Revelation 18, where an angel comes down from heaven having great power, great authority. The earth is illuminated with its glory because the world not only hears the three angels' messages and of the gospel, they see a demonstration through the lives of God's people. So the first 11 chapters is Christ saying, this is what I'm going to do before I come back. But obviously, Satan's not going to go down without a fight. So Revelation chapter 12 is the great controversy chapter where you have this woman and she's clothed with the sun upon her head, moon and under her feet, crown of 12 stars. And then she brings forth a child which represents Christ. So the Christian church births Christ. And then Christ is caught up to God in his throne, and then the woman flees into the wilderness. That's the church fleeing into the wilderness, and the dragon goes after the woman. And then ultimately, there's a remnant that's left, and the dragon goes after the woman who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So God says, I'm going to have a people that will be like me, but then you see that the people that God is working to develop are constantly under siege by Satan. Now, sometimes you may wonder, we're going to keep this practical where we can. Sometimes you may wonder, why is my life so hard? Why is my life harder than the unbeliever out there? Just remember the devil is after God's people. We're not guaranteed a life free from trial, but we can have confidence that we can hang on to the Lord through those trials, knowing that, yes, the devil may be going after us, but God is with us through it. By the way, a trial, and I've said this a hundred times, but I'll say it here to you tonight. A trial is not a trial if it's easy. If it's easy, it's not a trial. Oh, man, like, I wasn't sure what was going to happen for five minutes at work, and then everything worked, and that's not a trial. So, you know what trials really are. And so, you come to the end of Revelation 12, that's the great controversy chapter. So, God is going to have a people in the first 11 chapters that he produces that will be like him, and then you see this great controversy struggle that starts in heaven, comes to this earth, and God's people, the ones that God is working to produce that will be like him, become the target of Satan's attacks. Specifically, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. It's not a coincidence that the concept of obedience empowered by grace is under attack in the church, as well as the concept that there is the prophetic gift at the end of time. It's not a coincidence. So then you come to chapter 13, because chapter 12 shows you that there's this attack. And when it says the dragon makes war with the woman, that word war is palamos, which means it's a war of words. Then chapter 13 is Satan's strategy to prevent Christ from producing the people that will be like him. And the way Satan works to prevent Christ from producing that people is through the two beasts of Revelation 13. The first beast, who has the body of a leopard, who has the feet of a bear, and who has the mouth of a lion, that's the composite of the beast of Daniel 7. And he has a mouth speaking great things like the little horn of Daniel 7. It's a composite of everything, including the little horn of Daniel 7. That beast, it says the dragon, who is Satan, gives us power, seat, and authority to that first beast. So there's no question that the first beast receives his power, seat, and authority from the dragon, who is Satan. Now, we're just letting the Bible speak for itself. That's Revelation 13, 1 and 2. The dragon gave us power, seat, and authority to this beast. And... Satan works through this power, as is described in Revelation 13, verse 5, for 42 months, that's the 1260 years. So 42 months, there's 30 days in a month, 42 times 30 is 1260, and the day for year principle, that's 1260 years, and that's 
the, from 538 to 1798. During that time, Satan worked through that power to persecute God's people so that God's people on this earth were scattered and they were nearly annihilated. And if you were looking from the onlooking universe, you might say, how will God ever raise up a people at the end of time that could follow him when there is a professed Christian power that is actually antichrist, that is obliterating true Bible faith? It's based on the traditions of men. So Satan had this power. Now, let's look at some things about this first beast, just so that we can have some clear understanding. Starting in Revelation 13, 1. So, John is standing upon the sand of the sea. He sees this beast rising up out of the sea. Now, we understand from Revelation 17, 15 that sea represents the populated areas of the earth. And it's interesting when you look at this composite beast, you know, it has seven heads, ten horns. It's like a, the, the body is like a leopard, the feet are like a bear, the mouth is like a lion. So the lion was Babylon in Daniel 7, the bear was Medo-Persia, and the leopard was Greece. And those four beasts, there was the dreadful beast with the teeth of iron as well with the little horn, those beasts all came up out of the sea as well. And if you look at the succession of kingdoms from Babylon, then to Medo-Persia, then to Greece, and then finally to the Western Roman Empire with the ten horns, three are plucked up by the roots. Rome was in literal Italy, which is in Western Europe, which was in the populated area of the world at that time. So when this beast comes up out of the sea, you know, you compare Daniel 7 to Revelation 13, you're again saying, okay, it's coming up out of a po the populated area of the earth, and it has all the features of the first four beasts, plus it has the mouth speaking great things like the little horn did. So it, you're putting all of those pieces together, and what you start to say is, okay, well, those beasts came up out of the sea, this beast came up out of the sea, and by the time we get to pagan Rome, that's in Western Europe, and then the little horn in Daniel 7 plucks up three horns by the roots, um, the ostracos, the vandals, and the heruli, then this power in Revelation 13 would be coming up from the same territory. So when you look at Bible prophecy, you know, sometimes people will say, well, where do you come up with this stuff? We call this historicism. We follow what the Bible says verse by verse, and we allow the text to interpret itself, and then we use history in the context of what the Bible is saying to say, well, if we know the lion had to be Babylon, that's so clear, then the, meat of, uh, then the, the bear is meat of Persia, the leopard is Greece, the dreadful beast with the teeth of iron is clearly the Western Roman Empire. And the little horn comes up from the territory of the fourth beast, which is Rome, and it's the little horn that has a mouth speaking great things, then clearly you're talking about the papacy. So then when you apply that to Revelation 13, we're, we're describing the same thing. Comes up out of the sea. And just as the little horn in Daniel 7 had a mouth speaking great things, and in Daniel 7.25 it says it was for a time, times and a half, that's 12.60. We see this in Revelation 13, a mouth speaking great things for 42 months. It's the same thing. Now, here's something else worth mentioning, because you may wonder, so why is it a composite beast? And some of you may have heard this before, but it's worth repeating here. So, Revelation 13 is a composite of what Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and pagan Rome all brought to the table, and then the papacy puts it all into one package, which is why the end-time power is called Babylon. So, you have the lion, Babylon. What was it about Babylon? 
that contributes to the papacy? Well, it was Nebuchadnezzar who said, is this not great Babylon that I have built? So there's the spirit of pride, but it's more than that. It was Babylon who, in Daniel 3, there's an image that is built of all gold where they go against what God says to try to exalt their own kingdom, and they bring all the political leaders together for a religious worship service, so you have a union of church and state. So Babylon introduces the idea of uniting church and state to go against God. And you see it again in Daniel 5 where they use the sacred vessels and then they use the, the wine. So you, you're mixing sacred with a profane. And we see that through um, what Babylon introduces. And then Medo-Persia comes along and they make laws that can't be changed. So basically they're claiming infallibility. And then Greece comes along and exalts human reason above scripture so that Eventually, we see that the traditions of men are exalted above the word of God. And then Rome comes along and persecutes those who don't go along with what it says. And the papacy puts all of that together so that they will unite church and state, sacred with profane, claim to be infallible, put human tradition above scripture, and they persecute those who don't agree. That's why we can say the dragon gave his power seat and authority to this first beast. But there's something more that I want to focus in on. And again, this is the Antichrist power, ruling for 1260 years. It's interesting, we see that one of his heads was wounded to death. We understand this to be the deadly wound in 1798, which was three and a half prophetic years after it began in 538. It's interesting, you may have heard this before, Christ had a literal ministry for three and a half literal years, and at the end of that ministry, he suffered his death on the cross and then was resurrected. Antichrist has three and a half prophetic years, and just as Christ died on the cross, the papacy, Antichrist, has a deadly wound, but then Revelation 13 shows that the deadly wound will be healed. Revelation 17 talks about basically a resurrection of this power, so it will have a resurrection. So Christ, Antichrist, you may wonder, why did the papacy rule for 1,260 years? Well, it took that long for the principles of Satan's government to be fully developed, as seen especially through the French Revolution. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that right now. Here's what I want to focus in on, though. Revelation 13:5. remember, it's the mouth of a lion, which represents Babylon, and what comes out of the mouth is coming from the mind. Now, I'm speaking to... Uh, a smart group here. Um, for those of you who went to medical school, do you remember what the speech center in the brain is? It's, it's called Broca's area. And so you have a thought and you want to speak, and it's Broca's area that initiates the electrical signal that produces the thought that then turns into speech. And so when you speak, it's coming from your mind. So this beast, it has a mouth speaking great things. It's the mouth of a lion. So it's speaking like Babylon because it thinks like Babylon. That's why we call it Babylon. That's why the head of Golden Daniel 2 is Babylon. And it had a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 42 months. Now, let's think about this a little bit in even more depth here. Who gave the power to this beast? The dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. And, you know, we, we teach that a beast represents a kingdom, or a nation, and a nation speaks how? Through its laws. So here's what I want to look at then. We see this first beast has a mouth speaking great things, and it's receiving the power to speak great things from the dragon. Does that make sense? And the dragon is Satan, and it's giving this power to the papacy for 42 months, 1260 years. Well, what are these great things and blasphemies that this power is speaking? Wouldn't that be interesting to know? What are the great things and blasphemies that this first beast is speaking? Well, if we go back to Daniel 7, we start to see a clearer picture of what this power 
is saying. Because in Daniel chapter 7, we've seen this. It's the same beasts as we're seeing here in Revelation 13. Lion, bear, leopard, dreadful beast with teeth of iron, and then a little horn. But this is where I find things to be especially interesting. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, you have a little horn that comes up from this fourth beast, and it has a mouth speaking great things. Now, that's very similar to Revelation 13, 5, speaking of this beast. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things. Do you see the parallel? Now, in Revelation 13, the mouth speaking great things is specifically mentioned one time. But in Daniel 7, it's actually mentioned four times. In fact, this is, from my study, the greatest point of emphasis about the little horn in Daniel chapter 7. So what is it about this mouth that is speaking great things that causes the Bible to say there's a mouth given to it speaking great things. What are the great things? They're not great, but they're significant. Well, Daniel 7, verse 8, we see it. Then you see it again in verse 11, where it says, I beheld them because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. So that's the second time. And then we see it again in verse 19 and 20, where he says, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, and it goes on, and then verse 20, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things. So now we've gone from great things to very great things. And then finally, the fourth time, and this is where I believe you will see what it means to have a mouth speaking great things. Daniel 7, 25, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand. How long? Time, time, and the dividing of time. A time is one year, times is two years, dividing of time is half a year. So that's 360 plus 720, that gets you to 1080. And then half of a time is 180, so 1080 plus 180 is 1260. That's the same thing as the 42 months in Revelation 13.5. But what is it here in Daniel 7.25 that makes this little horn have a mouth speaking great things? What is it that it, that is so bad in a sense, that it has a mouth speaking great things. Thinking to change times and laws. Now, how does a nation or a kingdom speak? Through its laws. And how did the papacy speak? They spoke claiming that they had the power to change the law of God, and they claimed that they changed Sabbath to Sunday. Now, what I just said about Daniel 7.25 is the standard Adventist interpretation, correct? You've all heard that, right? If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you know that Daniel 7.25 is the verse that we go to to say, see, this little horn power thought that it could change the law of God. And what I'm just telling you, and maybe you haven't seen it in this respect, is that when you look at Daniel 7 and then you connect it to Revelation 13, Daniel 7 says, here's this little horn power. It's the power that comes up from the fourth kingdom of Rome. It uproots three nations, the Ostrogoths, the the Vandals, and the Heruli. At the time that the Western Roman Empire falls in 476, there's this strife for supremacy to see who would take over Western Europe. And it was this power, the little horn power, who eventually became a great power, uprooting three kingdoms. And he had a mouth speaking great things. Four times that's mentioned, a mouth speaking great things. And finally, it says, the, the reason why it has a mouth speaking great things is because he thought he could change the law of God and past laws as a kingdom, as a nation saying, we've changed Sabbath to Sunday. So when you look at Revelation 13, you're like, okay, the dragon gives us power, seat, and authority to this, this power. We understand this is the papacy. It's the first beast of Revelation 13. And what gives it its characteristic is that it's received its power from the dragon, which is Satan. 
And when it speaks, it's speaking under the authority of Satan. And when it speaks, he speaks great words against the Most High. And he thinks that he has the power to change God's law to a law that he says is just as good, changing Sabbath to Sunday. Now, that's pretty audacious, is it not? That's pretty bad. And what I'm trying to show you, though, is I'm just giving you a biblical definition based on history of what it means for the first beast of Revelation 13 to have a mouth speaking great things. It's mentioned in Revelation 13, 5, one time, but you connect that immediately to the four times of Daniel chapter 7, And when you connect it to Daniel chapter 7, you understand that the blasphemies and the great things that were spoken during the 1260 years were with respect to how it thought it as a power could change the law of God. Now, now that we've set that foundation, and again, let's just take a step back and look at the big picture of where we are. First 11 chapters, God is going to produce a people who are like him. And then Revelation 12, the dragon goes after that people. And isn't it interesting that the dragon goes after the end-time remnant people who keep the commandments of God. They've rejected the proclamation from the first beast of Revelation 13 who thought it could change the law of God. God has an end-time people that say, no, we're going to follow God's law, not the law of this supposedly Christian nation, kingdom, the Roman Catholic Church state power, claiming that it could change Sabbath to Sunday. We're not going to follow that. And so now the dragon goes after God's people who believe that way. So part of the end time struggle is that there's this power that says we have the power to change the law of God. Inherent within that change is the argument that God's law can't really be kept. Because it's more convenient for us to change the law to fit what is best for humanity, the world over, and here in this nation. And so we're going to change God's law. Now, is it, now look, there's only one, I mean, this especially applies to changing God's law from Sabbath to Sunday. But do you realize that you start to go down a similar path when you say, you know, we, we as humans, even with the power of the Holy Spirit, can't keep the law of God. You're starting to go down a dangerous path when you say that. So that's just kind of a big picture of where we are. So what I, what I hope you see right now is, is that Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 go together very harmoniously. They go together very harmoniously. And the key point about the first beast of Revelation 13, it comes up out of the populated area of Western Europe from the territory of Italy. It uproots those three powers and it becomes the predominant power of Western Europe and of the world for 1260 years and it has a mouth speaking great things like the little horn of Daniel 7 and the mouth speaking great things is a mouth that speaks when the papacy passes laws claiming the power to change Sabbath to Sunday and it receives the authority to do such a thing from the dragon who is Satan. That's how the first beast speaks. Under the authority of the dragon claiming that it has the authority to change God's law. And you go through the end of verse 10, and that gives you more of the history of the Dark Age papacy through the end of 1798. This is where things start to become more interesting in verse 11. So that first, we've looked at the first beast, and we see that the first beast, I mentioned this from verse 3, receives the deadly wound in 1798. Then the deadly wound is healed and all the world wonders after the beast. Do we believe that that has been completely fulfilled? No. The deadly wound will be healed 
when the papacy gains power over the state, or uh, yeah, uh, over the, as a religious kingdom, has power over the state to enforce its laws. And so th- as Adventists, we understand that that wound started to be healed in 1929 when Mussolini of Italy gave um, power back to the Vatican, and that the wound has been healing ever since then. But we haven't reached a point where the papacy has control over the nations of the earth like it did during the 1260 years. So now let's look at Revelation 13, verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. So the first beast comes up from the sea. The second beast comes up from the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now, again, you've probably heard this many times, but there's some contrast here. The first beast, I I didn't mention this, the first beast has seven heads, ten horns, and upon his horns, ten crowns. Do you see crowns on the horns of the second beast? No, you do not, because the first beast reigned or ruled over the kings of the earth, so you had a union of church and state where the church controlled the, the kings of this earth. Church and state were united. In the second beast, you have two horns and there are no crowns because church and state are separate. And it has two horns like a what? Like a lamb. Now that's significant. Who is the lamb in the book of Revelation? Jesus. And of course, in John 1.29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We see in Revelation 4, a lamb who had been slain. We see Revelation 13.8, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We see the 144,000 standing with the lamb on Mount Zion in Revelation 14. And then in Revelation 17.14, we see that this beast power makes war with the lamb and the lamb overcomes them. There's other places. There's the marriage supper of the lamb in Revelation 19. Christ is described as the lamb multiple times through the book of Revelation. I haven't covered all of them. I just gave you several examples. So this beast has two horns like a lamb. It's coming up out of the earth. This beast, which represents a kingdom, if it has two horns like a lamb, is based on principles of Christianity. Now, there are some people today who bristle at the idea when you say America came up as a Christian nation. Now, it's true that it was not a theocracy. It's, it's true that there was not a state religion. There's a separation of church and state. But the principles of this second beast are Christian principles. Now, people today would like to forget that and say we were never based on Christianity and Christianity should have nothing to do with this nation. Yet the reality from the Bible prophetically is that this nation came up based on Christian principles. What were those Christian principles? Well, the two horns. Now, in the Bible, a horn gives a kingdom its power. And in the case of this kingdom... It's these two horns that give us its power. Now, it comes up out of the earth, and just to look at things historically, so right around the time that the first beast receives the deadly wound, there is another empire coming up, not from the sea or the populated areas of the world, but at that time, at the end of the 1700s, around 1798, North America represented the unpopulated area of the world. So again, that's, this is historicism. And so you have this beast coming up out of the earth. And so just as the papacy is receiving its deadly wound and losing control over the state, you have another power coming up that has two horns like a lamb, meaning that it's based on Christian principles. The first beast professes to be a Christian power. It's the Roman Catholic Church state power. The second beast is actually genuine Christianity. So what kind of Christianity is this based on? Protestantism. So here we have Protestantism, Protestant America coming up 
at the same time that the papacy receives the deadly wound. And what are these two horns like a lamb? These two horns that give America its power are civil and religious liberty, also described as republicanism and Protestantism. And republicanism obviously doesn't represent the Republican Party as we know it today. Republicanism means that the rights of the minority are protected from majority vote. Now, that doesn't apply in elections. You know, minorities may not like the outcome of a presidential election or uh, a local election. There are majority elections throughout America that stand. But what this means is that the Constitution guarantees the rights of its citizens where all citizens are guaranteed civil and religious liberty so that you can't just have a vote where the president says, hey, we're going to take a vote and we're going to um, outlaw gasoline-powered vehicles. And if we could get 50% plus one of America to, to vote that way, then we win. Or you could apply that to any other number of issues and the Supreme Court can step in and say, wait a minute, that's a, that's a violation. Now, that may not be the best example like a, of an automobile. There's other things that are more significant. But any particular issue, um, according to the Constitution, the majority can't just simply vote and say, this is what we want. Because the Constitution protects the rights of minorities, and the Supreme Court would then step in to make sure that various branches of government didn't overreach. So that's the beauty and genius of America. So you have republicanism and Protestantism, civil and religious liberty. Now, Around the same time that the American Revolution happened, the French Revolution happened as well, and both the American Revolution and the French Revolution promoted the separation of church and state. But the French Revolution promoted a hostile separation where they tried to destroy religion, whereas the American Revolution was based on the fact that Christian principles were undergirding everything and everybody had the right to worship God according to their conscience or to not worship him at all. So this is what we see as America comes up out of the earth. He has two horns like a lamb. Now you may be thinking, okay, I, I know all of this already. Why are we doing this? Well, here's why. Because the next phrase says, and he spake as a dragon. Now, I've spent a lot of time showing you how the first beast spake. When the first beast spake, he received his power, seat, and authority from the dragon. Now the second beast speaks as a dragon. When the second beast speaks as a dragon, who's he speaking like? Satan. When Satan gave his authority to the first beast, and the first beast spoke, the first beast spoke with a mouth speaking great things. And what were the great things that were not so great? What were the great things that the first beast spoke as, as a nation it passed laws? It passed law saying that it had the power to change Sabbath to Sunday. So when the second beast speaks as a dragon, what do you think it's going to say? And this is a Protestant America speaking as a nation through the laws that it passes. How do you think it's going to speak? What do we call this? It's called the National Sunday Law. Now, here's, here's something that I want to, I guess, challenge you on a little bit. You know that most Seventh-day Adventists prove the Sunday Law by going to the book Great Controversy? Now, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I could give you a whole boatload of quotes from Ellen White. But you realize that I've used how many quotes to prove a Sunday law from the Bible? There's, uh, all I did was use the Bible without anything else. And what Ellen White is simply doing is just spelling out what we can show from the Bible in very clear terms that 
you have Revelation 13 lining up with Daniel 7 so that the com- Revelation 13, the first beast, is, is a composite of the four beasts of Daniel 7. And then you have the little horn with the mouth speaking great things, changing the law of God from Sabbath to Sunday because he speaks great words and thinks he can change times and laws. And then Revelation 13, the first beast does the same thing, a mouth speaking great things. And he's changing God's law and he receives his power. This is one of the key points. He receives his power and authority from the dragon who is Satan. And then the second beast starts off good, giving its citizens civil and religious liberty, but then he violates that by speaking as a dragon. Now, there are some people who have come up with some challenges to this thought. For, for example, there are some who say that America has always spoke as a dragon, Here's one of the, and they say you're, you're making a gap theory. There'll be like, you know how like people will make a gap theory with the 70 weeks. You're making a gap theory with America speaking as a dragon. Well, here's the thing. When you look at Revelation 13, for example, it says, um, and let me, verse 3, it says, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. Is there a gap from when the wound occurred to when the wound is healed? Absolutely. So the deadly wound was in 1798. We don't say that the deadly wound was healed six months later. We're still waiting for the deadly wound to be healed. The deadly wound will be healed when all the world wonders after the beast, and we see when all the world wonders after the beast. When in Revelation 13, 12, speaking of Protestant America, it says he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So when the second beast causes the world to worship the first beast, that's when the deadly wound is healed. The deadly wound happened in 1798, but we haven't seen the wound healed yet. So there's a gap there in Revelation 13, 3. And so, yes, there's a gap in Revelation 13, 11. It has two horns like a lamb, spake as a dragon. So starts off like Christ and ends up like Satan. That's kind of a bad outcome. Starting off good, ending up bad. Now, I want to challenge you a little bit more as well, just to think a little bit here. We need to be very careful about applying current news headlines into what it means to speak as a dragon. Because when I study the Bible, the only application I find for speaking as a dragon is when a nation, as with the papacy, they change Sabbath to Sunday, and then Protestant America will do the same thing will push a law that negates Sabbath and exalts Sunday worship. And then you go through the rest of Revelation 13. I mean, he exercises all the power of the first beast in verse 13. He doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Now, here in Revelation 13, we're just talking about this beast that's like a lamb. But you go to Revelation chapter 19, and there's a different name for the beast in Revelation 19.20. So Revelation 19.20 says, And the beast was taken. Now that's the first beast of Revelation 13. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These were both cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So in Revelation 13, you have the first beast that comes up out of the sea, the second beast that comes out of the earth. He makes fire come down from heaven on the earth and the side of men. He deceives the earth with miracles. What's that beast called in Revelation 19? The false prophet. Now remember, this is the well, not the first the second beast had Protestant principles. Now it's being called the false prophet. When did fire come down from heaven on the earth and the side of men in the Old Testament? 
Mount Carmel, Elijah. So, so the fire comes down from heaven. It's a miracle. We're the true prophet. So there's going to be supernatural miracles where the religious element of America, Protestants in America, will be working hand in glove with Satan as a false prophet to say, see, the Lord is on our side. Now, here's some things I've been hearing. So, you know, I've given you this Bible study for the last hour, basically, to lead up to just some, some points for consideration. I'm hearing people say today, you know, it's not the religious right that's going to be pushing for a Sunday law. Look at what the left is doing in America that's going to lead to a Sunday law. Now, let me make something very clear. I am not a fan of the political left in America, okay, just so you know. I do not like the political left. They are antithetical to Adventism. But at the same time, when I study Bible prophecy, I cannot align myself with the religious right. Because it's Protestants in America who will be speaking as if they are on the side of God. We are the prophet of God. Look at the miracles that are happening that show that this law that we are encouraging you to go along with, this is from God. We are on the side of the Lord. Fire is coming down from heaven in the side of men. You should be going along with us. Now, I'm trying to be polite here, but that's not coming from an environmental push. I'm just trying to be polite here. That's coming from false religion, from the religious right in America. So there's a lot of crazy things that are happening in the last few years that I'm not a big fan of, you know, but that doesn't make that the fulfillment of Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is still Protestant America as the second beast who serves as the false prophet who will do miracles through the power of Satan to try to get the world to buy in to this law where it, the nation of America speaks as a dragon, pushing a lot of change to enforce Sunday worship. And then the miracles take place, and then the world worships the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. This is the end-time scenario that's going to play out. And, you know, if you just look at what's happening in America, like, I don't see, just for lack of a better term, I don't see the Republicans and the religious right saying, oh, man, this environmental issue, we better take this seriously. Let's have a day of worship to protect our world. No, that's coming from the left. I mean, show me a Republican that's pushing the environmental issue and I'll, I'll give you a dollar. I mean, I'm kidding, but you, you get the point. Um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about the environment either. Get my point there too. I'm just saying that if we try to say, oh, well, look, the Pope is liberal and the president's Catholic and he's liberal and they all could agree on the environment, I'm not saying that that couldn't have some effect on getting the left to go along with things. But if you look at Revelation 13, when fire comes down from heaven on the earth and the side of men, do you know how many leftists who are atheists now are going to be subscribing to their philosophy of atheism? They're not going to be atheists anymore. That's going to be all over. When the miracles start happening, they're going to be like, this is the great power of God. I guess this is, oh, our bad. God's real. We're going along. So, so that's something for consideration. The other thing, too, um, there, again, I realize that there are things that have happened in the last few years that we may not necessarily all agree on as far as like how to handle what the government may or may not be recommending. And I'm not here to open that whole can of worms. All I'm saying is, is that um, the end time issue is going to be an issue over worship. It's going to be an issue over following the law of God 
or following a man-made law. And it's just kind of ironic that Protestant America will push this law that will try to enforce Sunday worship, and it's a tacit admission that their gospel in Protestantism, which they became part of the fallen churches of Babylon in 1844, that their gospel does not work. It's the evangelical gospel that says Christ saves us and our life improves, but we will continue to sin until Jesus comes. That's the evangelical gospel. And what they're saying when the world starts to fall apart and all these natural disasters are happening and they see everything that's going on in the world, they're like, this is so horrible, the world's falling apart. And they're like, we don't have the power in our gospel that we teach to get the world to follow the Lord. So we're going to have to appeal to the strong arm of the state to get people into church to get our nation back on track. Whereas Adventism proclaims the everlasting gospel that has the power to change hearts and lives. And that's the gospel that will be the loud cry where the earth is lightened with the glory of God's character because the world will hear the proclamation and see the demonstration. But the beast power won't have its own power, so it will be doing miracles under the power of Satan to promote what it's doing. So these are just some issues that I'm seeing in the church and I'm, and, and you know, just to kind of wrap things up here, I see some overreactions from people in Adventism that have tendencies to subscribe to political parties. So that people in the church who tend to be more Republican leaning are saying, wow, look at the tyranny from the left. This is going to be the, the Sunday laws coming from the left. Now look at this. And then I see people who are Democrat-leaning in the church who are saying, well, America's always spoke as a dragon because of this, that. And, and again, I want to be sensitive to what I say here, but this is just something worth mentioning too. There are some who say, well, America has always spoken as a dragon because there was slavery in America. And let me be very clear. Slavery is one of the most detestable things about the history of America. And when that was happening, America was not living up to its ideals of civil and religious liberty for all citizens. But we did have the Emancipation Proclamation that came along. America was judged harshly, and Ellen White affirms this because of the Civil War, because of slavery. That was a judgment of God on America. We have the Emancipation Proclamation, and I get it. There were still issues that continued with um, segregation, and there are still issues even today that aren't completely resolved. But the point is this. In America, we have liberty to come together and to speak and worship according to our conscience. And according to the Bible, and by the way, there were pioneers who said, yes, America speaks as a dragon because of slavery. James and Ellen White, they spoke against slavery. They, can, they wrote against it. They did all these things, but they never applied America speaking as a dragon to that issue, only to the Sunday law. So we as God's people at the end of time, we have a clear message. And what I would encourage us as a people is to unite on the clear teaching of the three angels' messages. The three angels' messages are very clear, and what happens in Revelation 13 is very clear. And we've seen the big picture. Christ is going to produce a people that will be like him. This is Satan's master strategy to try to prevent it. And when you get to the end of Revelation 13, you're like, this looks really bad. Look at the power of Satan. Then you just go to Revelation 14, and you realize that the lamb wins because he has the 144,000 who stand with him on Mount Zion. They are the ones that come from God's last day church. They're the ones that let Christ come in. He places his seal upon them. The mystery of God is finished. And when the mark of the beast crisis comes, they, through the power of Christ, overcome this mark of the beast crisis. And so Satan will not be victorious. And you know, sometimes, and this is the last thing I'm going to say and I'll be done. Sometimes we'll talk about how like, oh man, that whole Sunday law crisis is going to be so scary so horrible, and we won't be able to buy or sell, and we'll face a death decree. And I'm like, you know, you guys need to keep reading in the rest of the book of Revelation. When you come to Revelation 16, and you see the seven last plagues, and you come to Revelation 18, and you see how the judgments come upon Babylon, it's used 
the phrase one hour, one day, it's a very short period of time that the plagues will fall. You know, you think that you're saving your life for a minute by getting the mark of the beast, and then everybody who gets the mark of the beast, the destruction that comes to them is unimaginable. And we focus on like, oh, it's going to be so hard, and we're going to go through the early time of trouble and the Jacob's time of trouble. And yeah, have you seen what's going to happen to the wicked? And so like we focus on like, oh, mark of the beast, mark of the beast, and Sunday law, and it's going to be so scary, and we might be in prison and hardly getting fed. Well, just wait till you get to Revelation 16 and Revelation 18, and you see what happens. So the bottom line is, is that if we learn to follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth, and if we allow Jesus to come in when he knocks on our hearts so that he can place a seal upon us so that his character can be finished within us, he will empower us to go through that final crisis and we will not be deceived when the second beast of Revelation 13 speaks as a dragon and then performs miracles to make it look as if the lamb is on its side. You know, people say, I'm not worried about what is coming as long as I know who is coming. And yeah, you'll be deceived by the who that comes because you didn't know what was coming. If we, if we follow the Lamb, we will know what's coming and we will know him and we will be ready when that crisis comes. Amen. So let's be faithful. Thank you all for coming out tonight. And why don't we close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the prophetic message. Thank you for the understanding that you've given to us in Scripture. Help us to follow this message and to be ready for it and to be like Jesus and to hear the call of Jesus in our lives every day. So thank you for this clear picture that you have given to us and just help us to be faithful to you and go with us the rest of this evening and bring us back safely tomorrow, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.